My name is Dr. Brendan McCarthy. I am the Chief Medical Officer of Protea Medical Center in Chandler, Arizona. Thank you so much for tuning into my podcast. I truly appreciate that. Um, today, we're doing an episode on the same vein as the bunch of episodes we've been recording recently, and it's about weight, and, and it's not because uh, that's all I treat, because it isn't. That is not. I do a lot of other things in my practice. It's just I've been seeing a lot of it lately, and it's been on my mind. You know, I, I, I make these podcasts based upon my patients and my interactions with them. And when I see people going through these things and I see their struggle, like today's episode was about a patient I saw this week. And um, it, 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 I, I get it. I, I understand, you know, I the frustration that goes in with weight there's so many things attached to it. It's not just how we feel like we look like to other people. It's not like how we feel like we look like to ourselves. It's like how we're going to live long term. It's like our ability to get up in the day. It's our feeling good about ourselves physically, like be able to move around and get through the day without feeling tired. And There's so much to this. I want you to know I know that. And, I, and I'm I'm an empathic person, <laughs> I really am, and I and I feel these things, I get it. So, I want to do today's about estrogen and weight because I know I've spoken about this in a previous couple of episodes, but I was not really precise with a few things, and I I was looking through and I was thinking I I could do this part better because I didn't really even talk about it. So it's not even like I'm doing it better; I'm actually doing it where I didn't really talk about it as much previously. Um. The reputation of estrogen and weight is an important one because I'll have women presenting to clinic and they have low estrogen, uh, they're postmenopausal, and they have low bone density, and they have hot flashes, and they don't want me to give them estrogen because they don't want to gain weight because they've heard that's what it does. And they're not wrong, but it's not the correct full truth. It's, it's I actually said this before, when you are afraid of your own hormones that are naturally occurring in your body or a hormone that we're using as a bioidentical, something that's naturally part of your life, it's not right. Hear me out here. There have been so many generations before you of women who have estrogen and they're wonderful and they live amazing lives. It's not estrogen in and of itself that's the problem. It's the balance of estrogen in your body that's the issue. It's not the fact that you have estrogen. It's the fact that the estrogen you have is not quite doing what it's supposed to be doing. That is a very important, nuanced part of it. Because the estrogen does a lot of other things for you. It's a part of your identity as a woman. It plays a role with memory and cognitive. It plays a role with mood, libido. It plays a role with bone density, cholesterol. I mean, it's all over the place. And for us to cut it out so we can lose a couple of pounds, I'm not judging it when people do that. I'm saying it's you deserve better than that, don't you? You deserve better than that. You deserve your doctor to explain and understand the role estrogen plays with weight. And, and you deserve your doctor to figure out how to get your estrogen levels healthy without having a problem with that weight. That's our job. It's not that hard. I know it sounds complicated. I know it sounds complicated. And I and I and I know that. And I know 
that if I were to go to your job and try and do your job, I would do a horrible job and I wouldn't understand it until I got trained enough. There's no difference with that in medicine. That's why we're doing this podcast. I want to explain this to you. I want you to understand. I want you to understand this because it's your own body. I'm going to do my best to make complex biochemistry less complex. <laughs> it makes sense because it can be done and you deserve it. So this starts off for me when a couple presents to clinic for weight loss and it could go two different ways when a couple comes into practice. It could be that the, the one person's not a very nice person. And they're like angry at their significant other and they're telling me all the things they've done wrong. It's almost like going to the principal's office or something and someone's ratting on the other person. They did this and they did that. You know, it's like, I get that. That happens. That's not my favorite. That's not my favorite. Or the other one where you have a couple coming in, they're like, they love each other. They want to be helpful and supportive of each other. And they want to do this together because they see themselves being together forever. And so I love that. I love when people see the journey of their health as something they do together at home and how they eat together, they live together, exercise together, they share a lifestyle together and they go through life together, they share that. I think that's important. So when a couple comes in for weight loss and I start them on the protocol and the husband loses like 50 pounds in like, I don't know, 12 hours. And all he did was not eat like, I don't know, he just gave up cereal. <laughs> you know, I'm exaggerating, but you know what I'm saying? How many women out there, raise your hand at your computer screen right now or on your telephone. <laughs> like standing, <laughs> in their hand somewhere. I was seriously though, how many of you have been like, your husband will lose weight just by saying, ah, I'll just lose weight today. And he loses weight just by saying, I'll lose weight today. And he, and he does. <laughs> it's not right. It's wrong. It's fair. It's unfair, rather. And that's true, though. And it's true. I've seen it. I have seen it. And it is so disheartening because the wife will come in and she's spent months working at this, clean with her diet, careful, adding things up, using a little app on her phone to make sure she's doing everything right, exercising, everything. And she, and she gains four pounds of muscle. And loses three pounds of fat. And so she's net up one pound. And that's just so maddening to her. Estrogen. Estrogen. It's it's a problem. Again, I know I just led this up and made it seem like estrogen is evil. It's, it's, it's not. Let me reword this for a second. Estrogen balance. Estrogen imbalances in the body will lead to this. Estrogen, when it's balanced, doesn't lead to this. It really goes back to this. This is important. I had a woman come into my clinic this week and, you know, she broke down and just crying. And um, I've known her for years. And she's just this wonderful, beautiful person, kind. I just love seeing her. And there's all this pressure you know, for the career, making money, you know, having energy when she gets home for her husband, cleaning the house, maintaining this, doing that, all these things she does. And that pressure is just so high. And um, body image and weight, it's that, that it really is a, um, I know I opened up talking about it, this is, this is this is the actual event I'm getting to now in my little, <laughs> these are things you'll talk about at this point. And um, 
you know, whenever people break down like that, you know, it does, it gets me. I feel that in the past I've talked about reasons for weight gain. I'm going to circle back to it just a little bit because it's important to cover it again. Insulin is almost always the primary driver of weight gain in human beings. There's a great book uh, by Dr. Jason Fung called The Obesity Code. I love that book. Great book. And um, he's a proponent of fasting. And uh, I agree with that fasting. There are times when I use fasting and I prescribe it clinically. But he talks so much about the role insulin plays with weight gain. And he's great biochemistry in that book. Very accessible. He's written three books on this subject. One that's nerdier for doctors. One that's not so nerdy. And one that's great patient level stuff. So I think he's, and he's got a pretty good website. He's got a good operation. So if you have a chance to take a look at Dr. Jason Fung's book and his materials, I'm, I'm, I advocate for that because I use that with my patients a lot. So insulin is the primary driver. So what, what causes increases in insulin in our patients? When you eat food, you will have insulin increased. The, the quicker your food turns to sugar in your bloodstream, that's the glycemic index, the quicker it turns into sugar in your bloodstream means the more insulin you're going to secrete. So high insulin always causes weight gain. Okay? It just does. Other than eating, what else causes it? Stress. Drives up insulin, and we all know when we have chronic stress, it's easy to gain weight, and you'll be very careful with your diet, but it doesn't matter. Your stress is what's driving that insulin level up, and you can be eating a regular calorie diet, but since your insulin level's up, your body's going to preferentially store fat regardless of your calorie intake. And the third one is estrogen. High estrogen in women always triggers insulin secretion to be higher. There's a great study that was published that shows how estradiol increases the beta islet cells release rate of insulin when a person eats carbohydrates. That's proven. And you see clinically. And that's the thing people observe themselves. When with high estrogen, a lot of times they just keep gaining more and more weight. So more insulin means more fat. And insulin can come from having too much estrogen, too much stress, or too many calories all three, or just two, or just one. That's what, how this works. In the case of insulin and weight gain, it is always important for us to lower that insulin. Always. So again, the one we were all raised with is like, just lower your calories. That'll lower your insulin, and that'll work. And in that case, it will. If someone's hemoglobin A1C is higher, right? And their insulin's higher, their fasting insulin and the A1C's higher, we cut down their calories, they will lose weight. If someone presents with a normal hemoglobin A1C and a high insulin and they have high cortisol or even very low cortisol, usually it's very low cortisol from chronic stress, having them lower their calories doesn't work because that's not what caused the insulin. What caused the insulin is going to be the cortisol from stress. We got to manage that stress in that case. That's them. In the case of what I want to talk about today is when that estrogen levels are elevated, we need to get that estrogen under control. Telling those women that they need to cut their calories down to lose weight when it's estrogen induced does not work. And and you know this, right? You know this because you're that woman who's done this. I've sat down in the room with countless numbers of you and I know it. I know it. And, and it is... 
I can imagine how frustrating it is for you. I've heard how frustrating it is for you. I don't even have to imagine. I've heard enough. Even though I've never experienced it, I, I know. Having someone tell you just it's your fault, you stop eating, you're being this or that, you know, that's what you, you've been getting. And um, God, you hear a doctor say that to you, sometimes you just believe it. Or not sometimes, most of the time you believe it. That's just so harmful to you. So, managing your estrogen. Do I jump in there and say, that's it for you, no estrogen? Shut it down. No, it's a part of your identity. It's like going to a guy, be like, we'll take your testosterone, buddy. That's you're pulling that card. No, we don't do that. That doesn't work. It does not help. I mean, uh, it's not worth doing that. Now, sometimes I will inhibit estrogen pathways. I'll get to that. But the goal should be to understand why your estrogen is dominant, how it's dominant, and from that, we figure out how to manage it. So that's what I'm going to get into a little bit. So excess estrogen can come in two flavors. Okay. Flavor number one is absolute. Absolute excess estrogen, estrogen dominance like that, that's where you get these supra physiological levels of estrogen in your body. High, high levels, ramped out, running along all the time. That's not good, by the way. And that's one of those ones we want to take care of quickly. The other one is more chronic, and you see that more regularly. And that's going to be the relative one, which means your estrogen levels are fine. It's just you don't have any progesterone to oppose it or balance it. So your estrogen levels are within the normal range, but there's nothing other than estrogen floating around in there. So again, let's go back to here. There's two things, the absolute, which is just, here's normal, here's you, high estrogen. And then the other one is going to be, here's normal, here's you, estrogen levels normal, it's below that, but there's no progesterone to offset that. Okay, those are the two. Lab work is what we use to figure that out. So in the case of the relative one, which is where you're not ovulating and your estrogen levels are in the normal range, but it's normal all, all month long. And, and let me back up, let me give you a quick little reminder of this. In a normal menstrual cycle, the first two weeks of your cycle, estrogen is dominant. Estrogen should be going throughout your body and binding to all those parts of you associated with fertility, the lining of the uterus, cervix, ovaries, your adipose, all those things, bones, and it, it does all its good work then, and it's good, and we want that. <laughs> what are you doing? We want that. That is an important part of your identity. That's a good. You should ovulate sometime around day 12 or 14, and when you ovulate, estrogen levels go down, then progesterone levels should come up. Progesterone circles back to that tissue and calms it down. It stops it from being overstimulated. It stops the line of the uterus from becoming too thick. It, 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 it uh, lobulizes breast tissue. It, it um, plays a role throughout your body to inhibit excessive growth that estrogen stimulates. That's that relative increase. What causes people to have a relative increase of estrogen, meaning it's high all month long without ovulating, there's a few things that stop us from ovulating. Uh, one is going to be stress. Women under chronic stress, they don't ovulate very well. That's part of stress. It's like natural birth control. Your body's not going to ovulate because it doesn't want to conceive when you're under stress, so you're stuck with estrogen all month long. So that's one. So we need to figure that out. We need to see why they're not ovulating. If it's stress, we need to treat their stress. Number two, it's going to be weight. If your body weight is too high, it really inhibits your ability to ovulate. It plays a role with creating too much estrogen and estrogen dominance throughout your system. It creates too much inflammation. 
So we need to work on the weight itself as well. You see, that's a weird thing that I mentioned here. You, your weight has gone up because you have too much estrogen and now your too much estrogen is causing you to have too much weight. It's like a little circle. And also your stress is causing you not to ovulate and your stress is causing you to have too much estrogen. These guys are all woven into each other. There's a lot of it's just unraveling it piece by piece the best we can. Sometimes you're using an amalgam of several therapies at once, but you have to see what part is off in your patient at any given time. It's like you're juggling you know, five or six different balls. Sort of like having a conversation with you right now and playing with my dog who's chewing on my hand. If I were to be seeing a patient every nine minutes, I wouldn't be able to do that, would I? If I had one foot out the door of the room when I walked into it, if I had my back slightly turned to the patient getting ready to walk out, I wouldn't be able to juggle this many balls. I have such a profound respect for life. All life. Including yours. Your life has meaning. That woman who's in my office this week, crying, I cried with her. This is why I'm a doctor. And I want you to know this. This is true, I'm about to say. I'm going to say it's controversial and you may not believe. There's nothing special about me. I'm not the smartest person you ever met. I'm not the most thoughtful person you ever met. I'm not the kindest person you ever met. Generous. And I know it and I love to go out and see these people. Um, and I go to the Special Olympics. And there's all these kids playing you know, these sports, basketball, I, I, well, my son's in the Special Olympics team, uh, the local one, not the one that goes to the Olympics, you know, and he, uh, and these coaches volunteer their time and the referees volunteer their time. And these people are just such kind, generous people. The world is populated with good, I believe. I really do. And there's so many brilliant people out there who are kind and amazing. I believe that there are doctors that will treat like this. That when you're in a room with them, I believe, I know it's not this way now. But I believe they're out there because I see good people in my life. I know there are bad people too. There's bad situations. There's bad workplaces. There's bad systems in place. There's a lot of bad. I know. I just think it's important for you not to lose hope. I get outraged when I hear the way you're treated sometimes with your doctors. I get outraged and upset because I know how vulnerable you are. And I know that when you go into your doctor's office and they say, you just got to stop eating so much, and they say all sorts of, and I know they're not practicing medicine, they're just shaming you, and they're saying things that are not helpful. And I know what they studied in medical school, and I know that they know better. That's what I was saying earlier, I'm not the smartest kid. This is the stuff that comes with it. I'm not some genius person who, you know, this is regular medicine that I talk about in this podcast. I'm not some type of um, Stephen Hawking of medicine. Paul Anderson is, by the way. 
If anyone ever looks up Dr. Paul Anderson, that guy is the Stephen Hawking. Uh, that guy's my best friend. I love him my whole life. Uh, he's been the smartest man I've ever known in my life. He's, that's, you want to see Stephen Hawking medicine, talk to that guy. I'm just someone who's kind of speaking the truth that I see in my practice. So when that woman breaks down in my office and I feel that and I see that damn straight, I want to juggle every ball I can. Because her life is worth every moment. Right? What else is it worth? What else deserves so much focus? What else deserves so much focus from me, from anyone, other than that person in that moment who's in need? What else is of value in life? I mean, think about it. When we, when we die, we're all going to die. We all die. Some of us may have different belief systems there, but I guess I, let's, just, let's assume we all believe we're all going to die at some point. And we leave this world. No one leaves this world worried about money. That's an understood fact. No one leaves this world saying, I should have worked more. I should have done this. I should have done that. Well, at least I'm dying with this. I own that car. I have that house. I'm dying with this. I'm that. No one does. Every regret on a deathbed. And also every proud moment on a deathbed goes back to the relationship you have with the people in your life. So when you practice medicine, those are relationships. Do you want to have a regret? And I'm seeing this, this to doctors. Do you want to have that regret that you went through your life? And you half-assed it through the practice of medicine? Everything I'm talking about right here is basic medicine. 101. Nothing fancy. Nothing. So when the person presents to clinic, why aren't we giving them everything? Because that's what they deserve. I find it so offensive when it's not done that way. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to rant on this. I did not want to rant on this. It's just something that just really gets to me. It really does. I'm going to pull back. Sorry, I was just, blah. <laughs> yeah, I went off the tangent here. So back on to what's truth, okay? Let's help this woman. Let's help this woman. So she's not ovulating. I need her to ovulate. We're going right back to that. I need her to ovulate. See how I juggled it back to that? I went through this deep emotional frustration with the medicine, the, 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 the empathy that I'll feel with that person in the room and how like she needs that, my knowledge that so many of you don't have that. But I come back, I come back to this. It can be done. A doctor can juggle this stuff. They, you are worth us juggling these different things together to figure you out. Understanding how stress is going to play a role, understanding how your weight is going to influence your ovulation. I need to get the weight down. In order to get the weight down, I need to fix that estrogen. I need to figure out how to get the estrogen. We are weaving it together. So we do a little pressure here, a little pressure there, a little movement there, and keep seeing what the labs do and see how your body responds. So in the case of that relative, you know, estrogen dominance, I want to restore ovulation. And, you know, sometimes I'm going to have to work with their stress, as I mentioned. I'm going to have to work with their weight. Mention that. You know, sometimes diet, and I want to bring this up. I brought it up before. If you just right now type down exactly what I say and Google it, you'll be surprised. Because I think it's a surprising thing. Gluten, exorphin, B5, stimulates prolactin secretion from opiate receptors located outside the blood-brain barrier. Google that. 
when we eat gluten, not all of us, but many of us, when we eat gluten, it causes a nice uptick in our prolactin. A prolactin is the hormone that women secrete when they're nursing. If you're not nursing, you don't need it. And when it comes up a little bit high enough, it inhibits ovulation. That's like a natural birth control when you're nursing not to have children, more children. So that's what prolactin does. It gets elevated in many people with gluten consumption. Not super physiological. You're not going to see 50 on the lab, but you can see it like 15, 20. Taking gluten out of their diet brings it down and helps with that ovulation. That's going to help them have that progesterone. So when we approach these women who are not ovulating, we need to understand why. Restore ovulation. Now, if she's premenopausal, that's just a natural decline that starts to happen in your late 30s and early 40s where you just don't make as much progesterone. I'm going to go back to those women. I'm going to give them progesterone during part of their month. Now, they're still going to have a little too much estrogen throughout the month. I know this. But I also know that by giving them progesterone, it's going to attenuate the effect that estrogen has on their beta islet cells release of insulin. I know that. I'll see in the literature. I see it in my labs. I see it in my patient. Never trust just, oh, I read this online, so I'm going to just give this to you. Okay, if you read the literature, you read the studies, it's case studies, it's, this looks like it'll work. It's a standard of care that's established. This will work. Always circle back and make sure it actually did work. Just because it says it on a book doesn't mean it does with you, right? So we got to make sure we're understanding that part. So I, I could sound fancy as can be right now. But it's only fancy if it works, right? Otherwise, what is it? It's nothing. So we want it to work, okay? So ovulating. We want them to ovulate. And if we can't ovulate because we're premenopausal, around that edge, we want to give them enough progesterone to carry them over. So what about the other one? Absolute excess estrogen. And I have several of my patients who watch this podcast are going to see this and be like, Brendan, you remember when I had that? And I remember when you had it. Absolute excess estrogen is not my favorite thing to see in a woman. Absolute excess estrogen means you're supposed to be at this level, but you're up here. Like, use an example. See? Baxter. You don't do that. Go, 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 go inside. He doesn't take no. Are we good? Okay. So absolute excess estrogen is important when I see that clinically because you guys, we got to rule out what's causing it right away. And, and sometimes there's some significant pathology behind it. And I need to get on top of that. But for the sake of this podcast and today's episode, I'm going to talk about the primary ones that I see that are very common. Okay. And that's going to be uh, someone who's going to be premenopausal right at the edge. And it's also someone who's young, just starting to menstruate earlier part of her life and the later part of life. Then you see these absolute increases that are just real high and say it should be no higher than 250 or even 300. I've seen it at 900, 900. I've seen women present to my clinic and their estradiol is at 900 and it is just uncomfortable for them because that estrogen when it's that high, it's not just weight, brain chemistry is not going well. I mean, they're, they're having that stimulation of the anxiety pathways would be cranked up. There's a lot of anxiety in those cases. They're not going to be making as much serotonin, melatonin. So they're not sleeping. They're anxious and they're depressed and they're going to be gaining weight. And this population, man, it is an uncomfortable experience to go through and it doesn't happen every month. It'll happen for a month, maybe two months, and then go right back to normal and be quiet. And then comes right back up. And you'll have a few months of that. 
So in those cases, those women, we really want to see what's causing it and get ahead of it. Sometimes there's environmental exposures that are happening with them. Sometimes, again, there's other issues that could be at play with this, but but generally I'm, I'm going to use today just, it's just pre-menopausal and starting their menstruation. Our goal then in those cases would be to lower that estradiol, but you have to do it carefully. You need estrogen. Any monkey can go in there at a high estrogen and just hammer you with aromatase inhibitors and shut down your estrogen pathways. Any monkey can do it. But that's not what you deserve. You deserve your doctor to make your estrogen safe, not make it go away. You are a woman. It's an important part of your biology that you deserve to have fixed, not abolished. Fixed. It's in a lot of ways, these women who come in and like, Brenda, I don't want any estrogen because I'm, I'm going to be uh, gain weight. They have, they have accepted that they should have their estrogen abolished and they have accepted that they, that there's no therapy out there that's going to be able to fix it. And I, and I want to make sure, you know, that's not true. There are therapies. I'm all in. So sometimes I will use an aromatase inhibitor. And if I do, I do a low dose of it. I do enough to get their estrogen in the right range, but without lowering it too much. But that's my extreme. Before I use an aromatase inhibitor, in those cases, I do simple stuff. methane. That's derived from broccoli. Okay? That's the part of broccoli that smells great when you boil it. But you'd have to eat like pallets of broccoli to get enough methane to do the job. So I do 200 milligrams of methane with these people. We do pyroxyl 5-phosphate, which I mentioned in the previous episode because that's the active version of vitamin B6. That helps push the metabolic pathway of estrogen through the body to help you reduce it. The methane pushes estrogen uh, along a better pathway to create less risk, to create the less inflammatory versions of estrogen. methane prevents that estrogen from becoming overly inflamed. Because that's what that's the problem with estrogen, more inflammatory. As I mentioned in previous podcast, uh, uh, estrone, which is the version of estrogen that's a little more inflammatory, this is where we want to take methane in those cases. Vitamin B12 and folic acid. Those are very important for turning that pathway of metabolizing your estrogen through your body as well. So we're going to make sure there's no deficits there. We're going to make sure we treat it if there is one. Uh, we're going to use magnesium. Usually it's a version of citrate or malate. Those are my two personals that I use a lot. I know other doctors use different ones out there. Whatever works is good for me. You know, as long as it's not magnesium oxide, because all that does is make you go to the bathroom. So don't do magnesium oxide. It's going to magnesium citrate, malate, picolinate. It's just basically there's a, a um, it's more absorbable, these versions. Okay. Magnesium oxide is the earth version. It's meant to be more uh, uh, cathartic, causing a bowel movement. Um, calcium deglucurate is another one that helps that metabolism estrogen and N-acetylcysteine. So when I prescribe that protocol for my patients, I'm always running my labs. If I can find a deficit with their vitamin B6 or magnesium or their folate, I always look for it in the labs. But sometimes I'll still give them a little bit extra of those guys just to help push the pathway. And the final one, I should have listed this one first, fiber. Fiber is critical to get that estrogen level down. It plays a big role in there. So fiber helps pull that through your bile, through your bowel movement. Sounds weird to talk about that, how you drop estrogen with fiber, but it does work. It's very important. I'll use flaxseed in some cases. Some cases just like, just eat more fiber, please. You know, legumes, anything that I can get in them that they're going to eat, I'll do. Uh, And that works. And if I can't get it down with that, or if the level's really high, I'm going to go in there with an aromatase inhibitor, such as an ashazole. I'll use that to bring it down, to bring that excess level of estrogen. I never know 
how these recordings are going to go. You know, I'll spend the, the week before planning it and writing it and reading and studying. And, uh, and I, and I have in my head how I'm going to have these weave through, but sometimes other things come up and today was one of those ones. I, I love my work so much. There's nothing I could have ever done. I think that would have been this rewarding. And, you know, I don't take my work home with me at all, ever. I don't chart at home. I don't do those things. I read at home. I let my kids see me reading because that's a good role model thing to do as a dad. But that's why I read at home. I read my studies. I read my articles. I read my books. That's what I do at home, you know. But, but I don't dwell at home on this stuff. But sometimes when I'm in a moment like this, you know, it'll come up because I'm, I'm, I'm working it through in my head what these people are experiencing because I, I feel a moment I'm able to sit back and reflect on a patient and the patient's experience and I'll feel those emotions with me. I've said this in previous episodes. I'm going to repeat myself. If you're called to being a doctor or a care provider and my message, what I say, how I speak resonates with you, do this, please. Please do this. We need more people who will come into this and care. And I know there are so many people out there that do. Like I said that at my, my example of the Special Olympics team. And I mean, in all the people who work in that field, that's just one area of the world where people do just selfless, good, kind acts. There's so many good people out there, and I know many of you watch this podcast because I read your stuff. If you feel called... Please. So, I hope this episode helped. Please like, share, and subscribe. Your comments mean so much to Justin and I because it helps us give direction to what we do, but also gives us feedback that we're doing something that has meaning to you and value to you. I will see you next time. Thank you. Thank you.